love this podcast, support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the link in the episode description to support us now. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey, Space Rangers. Disclaimer for this episode, Rolando and Eddie will not be joining me. They had every intention on it before they went away for their trip this week, but time and life just got the best of them. So it's just going to be me. And this is going to be more of a review. And this is going to be a review of this film. Today, I'm going to be tackling the film Lightyear. Orlando and Eddie, they didn't get a chance to see it, but I did get a chance to see it. And I kind of wanted to give some background and some of my thoughts of the film. So hopefully you guys are still listening and will listen to this little mini-sode of an episode. Uh, so let's go to infinity and beyond, even though I kind of wish that there was an end to the beyond after all of this. I don't know. Let's talk. I'm Nicole, and this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals, an original podcast about unoriginality. So, like I mentioned, Rolando and Eddie, they won't be here. They're enjoying the nice weather and the nice beaches of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And if they're listening, guys, I wish I could be there with you. It's been a crazy, hectic week on my end. But I'm so glad that I'm able to be doing this episode for you guys because I paid the full admission to see this movie. So I feel like I have to do this and I have to talk about it or else it's just going to be like money wasted. Uh, even though a trip to the movies is never really money wasted, but still, I kind of want to share some thoughts that I had because I had a few, not a whole lot, but a few. Uh, so if you're listening to this, hopefully you did see the movie Lightyear. Yeah, it just came out over the weekend of June 17th, 2022, and it is and it is a Disney Pixar movie. And I'm sure you're like me, where you have a lot of high hopes and high standards for what a Pixar movie will be. Did this film reach those heights? We're going to find out. At least in my opinion, we're going to find out. Uh, and spoilers. If you didn't see this film, I'm going to be spoiling quite a lot. So if you want to go into it completely blind, don't listen to this. Listen to it after you've seen it, if you have seen it at all. So why did this movie even happen? Why does it fit into the remake, reboot, and revival category? Well, to me, I think it's kind of a revival. And even though Toy Story hasn't been out of our pop culture world for a long time, it is somewhat reviving the property of Toy Story and rev- trying to make it for like a new audience, new fan base, but focusing more so on the Buzz Lightyear character. Excuse me so much. Um, Toy Story, if you remember when it came out in 1995, if you were alive and if you went to the movie theater and you saw it, it just, it changed everything. If we kind of put ourselves back in the minds of what it was to be in 1995 and to be alive in 1995, The Disney renaissance was happening, right? It started with 1989's Little Mermaid and it pretty much officially ended with the release of Toy Story. And it reached its all-time peak the year before in 1994 with the release of The Lion King, which is probably, some would argue, the best of the Disney Disney renaissance films, which are Little Mermaid, 1991's Beauty and the Beast, 1992's Aladdin, 1994's Lion King. Disney was kind of going through a dark period in the 80s where they had all these different people come in and out and their films weren't doing as well as they had done their heyday and they desperately needed that renaissance. But as soon as it began, it kind of ended because once Pixar came out and released Toy Story with brand new 3D animation techniques, these films sort of got pushed under the rug. Pocahontas came out in 95, Hunchback of Notre Dame 96, Hercules 97, Mulan 1998. They were just, they were turning them out. But the Pixar movies were kind of 
overshadowing them. And then, of course, Disney bought Pixar, so it became their property, too. But if you think about it, too, Disney stopped doing traditional animation and they started doing computer animation just like was do- just like they were doing at Pixar. So you can really say that, okay, Pixar just completely changed the game for the trajectory of future Disney films. And right now, I would say Disney and Pixar are kind of on the same level. Encanto, which is a Disney film, not a Pixar film, was one of the most celebrated films of last year. And Luca which was the Pixar film of last year, wasn't treated in the same way, but a lot of people enjoyed it as much, right? I mean, Encanto was such a phenomenon, but Luca is still a very, very good film. And so they're very much evil playing grounds at the moment. I did see Toy Story when it came out in 1995, and I was obsessed. I mean, I think I have a picture of me somewhere with all of my Toy Story toys. I got them all. I got Woody. I got Buzz. I got Ham. I got Mr. Potato Head. I got Slinky. I got Rex. I loved the idea of it so much and having all of those toys and the fact that they might come to life without me. And I just wanted to play with them. And it was a really great technique that Pixar had used for merchandise and for making money, but also for just like having us all love this film and love these characters and to tell this story. And if you really think about what the original Toy Story about, it's kind of deep. It's more profound than other Disney films had been doing at that time. Uh, Pixar, you know, introduced this new level of storytelling that they created this high standard that ever since we've expected of them. And a lot of times they have outdone themselves, which is why I think now we expect every Pixar film to be held at that same high standard and not only to be at it, but to over, but to outdo itself, I should say. I mean, Toy Story, the story, is kind of an identity crisis of such. Both of Buzz and of Woody are two main characters. Woody kind of realizing that he is in the center of the universe and that sometimes things change and he needs to step away. And then Buzz having this idea of who you think you are in your head or what the reality of your life is and then having it all come shattering down. And I mean, this is kind of intense existential stuff, but they put it into this nice kids family movie of toys, you know? So we can enjoy it and we can relate to it and get the message, but not like be way too intellectual about it. Uh, It was just kind of brilliant. And it was such a phenomenon that it got a sequel, right? A Bug's Life came out in 1998, but then right after Toy Story 2 in 1999. And I think they did the really smart thing where they kind of changed up the genre and they made it more of a fun action adventure movie. Like Woody gets stolen and he's going to be cleaned up and sold to like a museum in Japan. And that's where we meet uh, Bullseye and Jesse. But meanwhile, all the other toys have to go and find and rescue him. So it becomes this fun rescue movie and other characters are introduced like Zerg, the character of Zerg for the Buzz Lightyear story is introduced. Jesse, of course, one of the main characters from the films in the franchise. And that has that heartbreaking sequence when somebody loved me to the Sarah McLaughlin song about Jesse's backstory. I mean, even though it was fun and action adventure they had this heartbreaking moment. Again, Pixar putting itself to new levels where everyone was like, oh my God, I'm crying and I'm feeling real emotions while watching this movie about toys. We didn't get any Toy Story movies throughout the next 10 or 11 years, but throughout that, Pixar kept outdoing itself with Monsters Incorporated, Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, right? Rat- so Ratatouille came out in 2007, Wally came out in 2008, Up came out in 2009. That's one hell of a streak for Pixar to have. And of course, Toy Story 3 came out in 2010. So it's the fourth film in that streak and high standards were held to Toy Story 3. Finally, we're getting the third and closing chapter of this franchise. 
And of course it delivered to infinity and beyond it delivered. I mean, come on. Everyone jokes about how people never thought that they could feel such intense emotions with toys holding hands. <laughs> Spoiler if you haven't seen it. Holding hands and accepting their death. And then for that not to happen and it just be like, oh my God, I can't believe this is going to happen to these characters. It doesn't happen. And then they get that proper send off with Andy, who is now going off to college, saying goodbye to his beloved toys and passing them down and that experience on to the next generation. That's also kind of where we were. You know, we were all older. People who grew up on 1995's Toy Story in 2010, we were much older. We were in our early 20s and we were possibly even going off to college. And so for us to see this story where it gets passed down to another generation, it's kind of like us passing it down to maybe our children or to our nieces and nephews and our cousins. And it just felt so relatable for us as, as characters or for viewers of these characters, I should say. Of course, though, with something as successful as a franchise of Toy Story, which had television shows, of course, tons of merchandise. There's a whole Toy Story land in Walt Disney World, which is actually really fun. They just couldn't let this franchise die. And we got Toy Story 4 in 2019, I believe, which focuses more on Woody and Woody's role in the franchise and also like his relationship with Andy. And I'm going to be honest, I wasn't the biggest fan of Toy Story 4. I didn't think it was needed. I didn't think we needed to put the spotlight more on Woody than all of the other people. I mean, even though Woody is kind of the main star, it's always been more of an ensemble piece and he might be like leading it, but it's all, it's about everyone. I don't know. Toy Story 4 just didn't work to me. I thought Toy Story 3 was so perfect, such a perfect ending that for Toy Story 4 to be like, oh wait, actually this is the ending just didn't work for me. Uh, I liked a lot of the characters. I actually really liked Forky, but I don't know if I needed to see this next generation and to see Woody's unhappiness moving on past Andy. And of course, they are not letting this franchise die. They're actually trying to now, I guess, spin off of it, you know, which is maybe we should add spinoff to our title of remakes, reboots, revivals, and spinoffs because we do a lot of them. But of course, they were like, well, if we can't do Toy Story 5, then we're going to do something else. And we're going to make a film and we're going to call it Lightyear. And there's been a lot of Buzz Lightyear content in our popular culture. I mean, there was a direct-to-video film called Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, The Adventure Begins, which is right after the release of Toy Story 2. There was a television series for, I think, a season or two, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. And there's a Buzz Lightyear game in Magic Kingdom and I think Disneyland where you get to shoot things of course Toy Story Mania took that premise and made it better uh that's a better ride sorry guys it's a better ride but they decided that you know maybe we needed to kind of see the origin story of who Buzz Lightyear was in this world of Toy Story you know why was Andy so obsessed with Buzz Lightyear that he took over Woody's place as his favorite toy now I never really asked that question but apparently enough people asked that question that they greenlit this project and this film is directed by Angus Macklin, or McLean. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. He actually co-directed Finding Dory, and I do believe that this is his solo directing credit and first one that he's got to this level for Pixar. And he co-wrote it with Jason Headley, and he came up with the story with Matthew Aldrich and Jason Headley. Now, it's important, I think, to me to say that none of these people were involved with the original Toy Story film, 
Toy Story 1 was directed by John Lasseter. And the story came up by, was come up by John Lasseter, Pete Docter, Andrew Stanton, and Joe Ramft, who were huge figures in the Pixar world in the first few years. I mean, John Lasseter also did Cars. Uh, Andrew Stanton also did Finding Dory and Wally. And of course, Pete Docter, my favorite, he did Monsters Inc., he did Up. He did inside out that's the movie oh my god the best the most heartbreaking and just next level pixar movie and he also did soul so all these guys helped come up with toy story and they this was like their first big project that they did as a unit at pixar and joe ramp worked on a couple other things but joe ramp did die in 2005 unfortunately um so these are the guys that you know they started pixar they made all the films that made pixar and now they've kind of stepped away and they're doing different things and new people are coming over and taking the helm at pixar we had turning red by domi shi and that was i thought one of the best films of 2022 um there's also the the filmmaker who made coco which i also think is one of the best recent pixar achievements And that was made by Lee Unkrich, who actually did do Toy Story 3. So Pixar is still just 100% turning them out. But they're making a lot of sequels. And I would argue that the films that don't necessarily work of Pixar are the sequels. Uh, Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3 worked. But Cars 2, Cars 3 there? I don't know. A lot of people don't love the Cars franchise. But did those work as well as Cars 1? Monsters University. I thought it was charming, but it wasn't the level of Pixar I wanted. Finding Dory, it was okay. Incredibles 2 even was okay. So all of these additional films we're getting in these worlds don't hit as well as when you get a brand new original film like Inside Out, like Coco, like Luca, like Soul, like Turning Red. Um, and also Brave. I just want to say Brave is a great film I haven't mentioned. I feel like I've named every other picture, but Brave, which is a really underrated film, Revisit that if you haven't. A really, truly, I think one of the top 10 best Pixar movies. So, unfortunately, though, you know, with Disney owning Pixar, at the end of the day, it's all about money and it's all about the lucrativeness of it. So, of course, this is gonna this project was going to happen. And it really sucks, too, because this, is, this was the first theatrical release of a Pixar film since Onward and since the pandemic started in march of 2020 onward was initially in theaters but then the pandemic happened so they released it april 2020 into disney plus and since then all of them have been on disney plus soul was on disney plus luca was on disney plus and turning red and i would argue that this was the least deserving of a theatrical release but of course disney's thinking money and they're like oh it's a toy story franchise this film's gonna do huge well it didn't do huge Disney projected that this film was going to make about $75 million opening weekend, and this film made $51 million. So maybe I'm in the minority of people who actually went out and saw this on opening weekend, and maybe people are used to having all their Pixar films directly available on streaming, but not a lot of people went out. But it also could be that maybe not a lot of people were interested in seeing this film. I would hope that a lot of people would agree with me that... Toy Story is kind of perfect the way it is, and we should kind of leave it alone. And even though this isn't Toy Story 5, it just feels like another addition to this Toy Story franchise that we didn't need. So what is Lightyear all about anyway? Well, first of all, here come the spoilers. The film opens up with the title card. 
That said, in 1995, a film came out that a young Andy saw, and he fell in love with Buzz Lightyear. This is that film. So this role that this film takes place in the Toy Story franchise is that this is the film that Andy saw in 1995, and that's why he got the toy, and that's why he was so obsessed with it. So it's not so much the true story of who Buzz Lightyear is anything. This actually has a role. Like, this came out, this movie supposedly came out in 1995, and Andy saw it. And that right there is actually <laughs> a really interesting way to begin the film because there are some nitpicks that I have with that. So we're, we all get to see the film that Andy saw back in the day in 1995 and was so in love with. And pretty much Lightyear tells the story of an astronaut named Buzz Lightyear and he's marooned on a hostile planet with his commander and his crew and he's trying desperately to find a way back from home for his crew while they're marooned on this planet. And then obviously the threat of Zerg also comes and interferes with this. That's pretty much the plot. This is a very short film. It's about an hour and a half, and it feels like a action movie. It doesn't feel so much like a Toy Story edition, which is either a plus or a minus for you. Um, now, there are some controversies that are already circling this film. The big one is that Chris Evans is voicing Buzz Lightyear, not Tim Allen. And so when you think about the fact that this is the film that Andy saw in 1995 and was so obsessed he needed to get his own toy, I guess the actor who voiced Buzz Lightyear in the 1995 film didn't want to voice those toys and that Tim Allen was the second-rate voice actor for the toys. I mean, that's, you know, whatever. They could have gotten Tim Allen. Disney, we know that you want a star and that Chris Evans is a huge Marvel star, but he, he didn't need to be in this movie, especially because we never really see him. I think we all love the voice of Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear. So it's an interesting choice that they made, but I guess that's the technicality there. The other thing is that a lot of people are outraged because there is a same-sex kiss in this film. Now, after when I watched this film, I knew that that was going to happen. And after the film, I was like, wait a minute, where was the same-sex kiss? It was really brief. And it, it didn't even make an, an impact on me. But then again, one... I don't really think twice about um, kisses between characters in films, especially if they're same sex. I'm happy when I see the representation, but it's not like, oh, that's such a big deal. And I'm not one who gets outraged over uh, displays of love and affection. Um, but I kind of thought back and I remembered when it was, and I was really, really shocked that people felt this way. Uh, there's a sequence when Buzz is trying desperately to get off of the planet. And every time he does this thing where he tries to get into hyperspeed so that he can pretty much get them back to Earth, he loses a couple years. He uses he loses four years. So there's this whole sequence that actually reminded me of the beginning of the film Up in which Buzz is trying and trying and trying. And every time four more years go by and four more years go by and every time he comes back and he sees the changes that are made, he actually sees that people are moving on with their lives and they've made a home for themselves on this planet and they're happy and his best friend played by Uzo Aduba and I believe her name is yes and her name is Alicia Hawthorne she fell in love with a woman and she's continuing her life on this planet and I guess they adopted and they have children and grandchildren so that's pretty much it. It's not a big deal. Um, I'm so more so uh, nitpicky about the fact that if this is a film that came out in 1995, 
I don't believe that they would have an openly gay character uh, be the best friend of the main character in a film that children went and saw. I mean, Andy went and saw and fell in love with it and they were selling toys. I don't believe that the world was as open-minded as we are now or we're trying to be now. In 1995, uh, 1995, Braveheart, uh, Apollo 13, all these movies kind of came out that just, I don't know. I just don't think that that would have been realistic. So I'm being really nitpicky here, but these people are trying to like get me to believe something and I don't believe it. I believe it as a 2022 film and if you're just going to sell it as a 2022 film, that's totally fine. But you're passing this off as a 1995 film. They That never would have been. I don't even know if the main character would have been a black woman. I just don't think movies were as open-minded in 1995. I mean, I'm here for it. I love it. But you're saying that this was the reality in 19... I'm, I'm nitpicking. I know, I know. So enough years go by that his best friend Alicia dies and she leaves him a cat, a robot cat who's named Docs or Socks. No, it's named Socks. Sorry. And Socks is very much the um, the comedic relief or just kind of like the character that we're all supposed to like gravitate towards and our has our hearts kind of like um, bing bong and inside out where they're just like oh it's funny but it's also adorable and I never want anything bad to happen to you and of course there is the potential of that happening um it's you know it's used for manipulation like oh this is where your heartstrings are going to get tugged and you're either up for it or you're not I kind of like rolled my eyes I was like oh great here comes that character in this part of the movie but it worked like it wasn't horrible I didn't hate it so there's that um, so that's kind of like Buzz's new companion is having the robot by him because the robot's very helpful and actually, uh, solved his issue of going to hyper hyperspeed. So he's like, that's it. You and me socks. We're going to get this happening. But he just so happens to come across a couple of people when he returns to earth for the last time after actually successfully getting to hyperspeed. And the people that he comes across are Mo Morrison uh, Darby Steele and Izzy Hawthorne, the granddaughter of his best friend Alicia Hawthorne, and they're just kind of like the outcasts, the misfits. They were their trainees, and they're not that great. They're kind of not as perfect as Buzz Lightyear is, because Buzz Lightyear is like depicted as on the top of his game, and he knows what he's doing, and he has no time for hiccups. And these people are just all hiccups. And uh, the voice actors are Kiki Palmer as Izzy Hawthorne, Taika Waititi. Uh, I don't know Taika Waititi as Mo Morrison, and Dale Suze as Darby Steele. And this is when it feels the most kiddish to me. It just I don't know. Like if I was a little younger, maybe I would have enjoyed it, and maybe I would have found it funny. But none of it just like resonated with me, and it also felt like so like tropey like oh here's the guy learning you know to like everything's not perfect and people are more important than anything else and friendship and all this stuff like I just I've gotten that message before and I've I've gotten it better in other films and um I just wasn't really really feeling it especially at the end when he like chooses them over like his mission that he's been obsessed with I was like I don't know if I believe this you spent like 64 years doing this and you're giving this up because like these weirdos like stole your heart i don't know do i believe that <clears throat> the other big twist is that zerg actually is not just a robot he is a creation um of an older nihilistic version of buzz himself it's pretty much old buzz lightyear 
who's voiced by James Brolin. And the main foe that he has is himself, a literal adaptation of like the demon within you. I thought that was a little bit more interesting, but I thought that that was surprisingly dark for a children's movie. And I guess it brings me to the question that I have is, who is this movie for? It really feels like it's meant for Toy Story fans. Now, of course, Toy Story is has transcended just one generation. I mean, I, I'm sure young children who are the age of four or five love Toy Story just as much. I mean, it's so embedded in our pop culture. But there needs to be a sense of intellectual familiarity for you to appreciate this. So you definitely have to be older, maybe than nine, ten years old. And if you're going more so for like my age group that grew up on Toy Story, I don't know if you got me because it felt really, really kiddish. Like it felt really, really meant for a younger generation. I don't know. It's hard for me to decide who I think they were making this movie for. Pixar makes movies for everybody, but... Most of their films, even though you know that it's a film that is geared towards children or is supposed to be child-friendly, you really feel like they made for you. Like Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, WALL-E, all these movies, they work so well on an adult level that it doesn't bother you that you're watching a kid's movie. But when I was watching Lightyear, I really felt like I was watching a kid's movie. I was like, I don't know, is this movie meant for me? I will say watching it in the theater was really cool. Like the moments where they went to hyperspeed, it sounded great. And it looked great on the big screen with the sound system. But when I went, I went on a Sunday morning and there were a bunch of other children with me and I was just like, I don't know, are they feeling this? Do they like this? Is this like the movie of the summer that they wanted? Are they going to get why they like it so much? I just kind of didn't really know what kind of movie it wanted to be or who it was for. And because of that, just a little uneven. But I didn't not enjoy myself at the theater. I did enjoy this more than Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, especially because it was so short and sweet. And there is a touch of Pixar that I just love. But this is definitely not among Pixar's best works. And the return to the theater for Pixar, I just, I really wished it was Turning Red because that, that would have been amazing. And the thing about Turning Red, if you haven't seen it, is that that is clearly meant for an older generation of kids. Maybe like 10 to 13 should start seeing, like begin at that age to see that movie. So they kind of went down. They went down to like five or six for light year. It feels like, you know, Pixar was getting this maturity. And I guess, you know, that's that's good because, hey, everyone can watch this movie. And we're not just making films for like, you know, young teenagers. We're making films for children, too. Um, I get it. I'm with it. But I just I don't know. I'd say if you're going to watch a Pixar movie this year, you should definitely uh, you should definitely watch Turning Red over light year it's such a bummer that Rolando's not here because I really do wonder what he would have said what he would have thought um so maybe when he comes back and if I force him to see it which if he missed it for the podcast he's not watching it he's not watching it at all I know him he just he's he's he'd rather stay home um but if he ever does get some input I'd love to for him to share it with you guys and so I'm gonna kind of leave it at there I don't want to spoil too too much and I don't want to give away too too much of my thoughts But if you did see this movie, what did you think? Do you think I missed some marks or do you agree with me? Let me know. Email me, remakesrebootsrevivals at gmail.com. Instagram at remakesrebootsrevivals. Facebook.com slash remakesrebootsrevivals. Twitter at remakespodcast. Or leave us a review and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other episode or on the podcast in general. Because reviews help us out tremendously on Apple Podcasts. 
but hopefully by next week we will be back there's a lot going on in the world of remakes reboots and rivals and we do kind of want to close things off with a very pride specific episode so you're gonna want to tune in for that so i hope you enjoyed this episode if you're still with me rolando can't wait for you to come back and until next time stay unoriginal <laughs>